0: Welcome everybody. It's Monday and we have this topic that I am loving. It's hemodialysis. Yeah, we're going to get into it. This is how to pass NCLEX. My name is Regina Callion. Hi there. If it's your first time joining me, I am an NCLEX instructor and my number one goal is to help you pass NCLEX. I do it several ways, but one of my favorites is by coming on every Monday on Facebook, YouTube, all my social media and I am presenting you with a topic today which is hemodialysis and it's very important you need to know it to pass your NCLEX so let's jump into it yes you made it to the live class I have questions after this let's go so when you talk about hemodialysis this is one of the renal replacement therapies that we've been going over we did review peritoneal dialysis so if you have not getting, gotten the notes from that video, check it out. But hemodialysis is, is popular, okay? And this is where water and waste materials are removed or extracted from the blood during dialysis. Uh, and, and it is done by a dialysis machine through an extra corporeal circuit into a device known as a dialyzer or an artificial kidney and so william koth was a dutch physician and he invented the first dialyzer in 1943 important stuff this is a a fairly new technology Um, and as we have gotten more and more advanced there are many different types of dialyzers now that are suited for your convenience and better results if you are a patient. And normally, when you talk about hemodialysis, know that this is typically done when the kidney function falls uh, between ten and fifteen percent. So the kidney function is low. This is not something that we want to initiate on a patient. This is one of those like last step treatments if if it needs to be done. And um, hemodialysis, we can talk about it, but it is extremely stressful to the body, but it is necessary as we will see to help this patient sustain life. And so the goal of hemodialysis is to uh, filter waste and eliminate you know, excess fluid and help to restore a very important electrolyte imbalance. And so, um, I just say it again when you talk about hemodialysis we're talking about the um the kidneys and them needing the ability to be assisted in filtering waste eliminating excess fluid and restoring electrolyte balance such as sodium potassium um bicarbonate chloride calcium magnesium and False. Phosphate. Phosphate. Yeah. What are some factors that will initiate a need for the prompting of hemodialysis? Okay. Chronic kidney failure. One of them for sure acute kidney failure with complications. So if you have suddenly, because ideally we are talking about, um, hemodialysis, we, we only want to use it in the short term. All right. And that's literally like days to weeks if we have to use it at all. But those patients with chronic kidney failure or advanced kidney disease, um, sometimes they do require this long-term replacement therapy. So, Hemodialysis can be used for a chronic or an acute kidney um, issue to prevent death, okay? But it does not, let me just be clear, if your patient is having chronic kidney disease or a severe acute kidney injury, dialysis is not going to reverse that condition. Let me just make that clear. So this is, this is a treatment But it is not a cure. Does that make sense? That's what I'm trying to get here. So uh, uh, some acute kidney failure with complications of anuria, uremia. You guys should know these terms. I don't want to define them for you. I want you to look them up. A fluid overload, a metabolic acidosis and a hyperkalemia. These are um, issues that need to be addressed. Drug overdose dialysis can also assist with getting those toxins from your body and also sepsis as well. And so when intoxication of drugs or other toxins, there are other methods that you can use, such as gastric lavage, activated charcoal. You know, activated charcoal, you can get that you can get that over the counter sometimes when I'm visiting other countries. Mark and I will pack activated charcoal and we'll take the tablets because if we eat something um, that doesn't agree with us, the activated charcoal will absorb any toxins. So um, there are other methods to remove toxins from the body, but hemodialysis is going to be um, one that is going to be an aggressive assistant to the patient. The dialysis apparatus, you don't have to know how to work this machine, but you should be familiar with the components of your patient's hemodialysis therapy. We've even had REMAR nurses who have been on dialysis as they studied. Um, Shout out to nurse Kathy for sharing her story with us. She now not only does she have new kidneys, but she also has her nursing license. So yay! So happy for her. But the dial, um, the dialyzer, this is going to be considered the artificial kidney because it, it serves as a synthetic, semi-permeable membrane. Okay. So what it does is it replaces the renal glomeruli and tubules. Okay. That are going to be impaired. So it's going to do that job for your body. The dialysate is the solution that is made up of all of the needed electrolytes, um, and the appropriate concentrations for the electrolytes. And so this is so that the, the patient's blood can be brought back under control. All right. And so, um, the hemodialysis delivery unit is there, and you guys can see that it is going to include the blood pressure cuff because you're removing large volumes of, of fluid from your patient. You'll monitor their blood pressure, the heparin infusion pump um, to keep that blood flowing uh, in a non, <laughs> n- non-clot way. We don't want the blood as blood is moving, as blood is maybe being still in some points, we don't want it to clot. And then also the blood pump there. The dialysis mechanism, um, the, the idea here for me showing you this graphic is just essentially for you to understand that whether the patient has hemodialysis or peritoneal dialysis, the, the toxins and waste in the blood are removed by a diffusion process. And so that means that um, just like we learned in biology or, or um, maybe chemistry, I guess, but certainly in our fundamentals of nursing, when you have fluids and particles, they move from a higher level of concentration to a lower level of concentration in the dialysis And so Excess water is removed from the body through a process of osmosis, essentially, for the patient. And there is some filtration that has to happen in order for this to take place. Again, I don't want you to get bogged down in the osmosis at the water removal level, but I do want you to know that uh, patients with renal disease cannot excrete the water that is produced, and so this process, um, the 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 dialysate, the dial the dialyzer are all going to help the body as a buffer system, and we're going to use the anticoagulant of heparin to keep the blood uh, flowing, and we're also going to be cleansing the blood. <laughs> At the same time. And so it it is a very delicate situation for our patients to be in. They now have to have a machine to filter their blood. They have to have a machine to clean it, to restore it to an appropriate electrolyte balance and then return it to the body. It takes a lot. Right. It takes a lot. So. Those nurses who endeavor to work in a dialysis clinic, your ministry to that population is essential for them to live. And so, yes, the doctor can write the order for dialysis to be done three times a week. But it is the nurse who is at that bedside making sure that the patient is um, hemodynamically stable during this intervention. Also that they are not showing signs of infection or shock, that they're getting the proper nutrition and that they're resting during and after this process. All right. It takes a lot. So some (laughs) pre-hemodialysis things that need to take place is you need to establish an access to the patient's vascular system. We are not going to be able to remove any blood if we don't have a way to remove it we don't have an access to clean clean it or return it and so the the immediate need of a subclavian interjugular or a femoral vein has to be available and we will have either the patient having an arterial venous fistula or an arterial venous graft do you know the difference between those two do you know the difference between a fistula and a graft? We are going in to our nursing content today. The pre-dialysis assessment is where the nurse, we are going to be evaluating fluid balance before dialysis so that we know, hey, the blood pressure is this, the pulse is this, the weight is this, The intake and output, we're going to be looking at um, what else do we look at? We look at tissue turgor um, and we're looking to see if a patient is in fluid load or if they're dehydrated. We need to know that. I also have some things here. The client's history, the clinical findings that I mentioned before, and then also any laboratory results. What is your patient's electrolytes looking like before? And how did they respond to the last hemodialysis treatment if there was one? And so this is done at the bedside. The dialysis nurse, she is the one who establishes these things, all right, before that machine is hooked up. And so it is it is important because we need to remove fluid, all right? We need to remove the fluid uh, on the patient, usually because this this is the thing. The patient really does not have an option to keep the fluid in their body. So irregardless really of what the findings are, we know for sure that the fluid that is accumulating in the patient's body is not being filtered and it's not being excreted. So literally it is poison circulating in the patient's body. Very serious. I can't um, I just can't stress it enough. I just can't stress it enough how important we have to be competent on this subject. The the vascular access here. So again, I said we need to have this immediately. Can't do dialysis without it. Um, So it will be um, a double lumen. Okay. Cuffed hemodialysis catheter. And the red of the lumen is the dirty blood out. And the blue is the clean blood in. And so the red adapter is going to be attached to um, a blood line through which blood is pumped from the patient to the dia- dialyzer. And after the blood passes through the dialyzer, which is our, our artificial kidney, mm-hmm, then it will be returned through the blue adapter. And the reason why, um, you know, this is done is because, again, this patient is going to need this treatment as an essential to live. Now, are there some complications with having vascular access? Yes, you could get a hematoma. You could get a pneumothorax. There can be an infection. There could be a, a thrombosis, right, uh, in, in, in the subclavian vein or whatever access, you know, you choose to have. All right, take a look at it now. Here we have um, the two types of accesses that we talked about the arterial venous fistula or the arterial venous graft. With the arterial venous fistula, this is something that is created surgically in the forearm. You see the forearm, you'll be able to see it. And what you do is you join an artery and a vein, either side to side or end to end. You could do side to side or end to end, but needles are inserted into the vessel to obtain the blood flow, okay? And the arterial segment of the fistula here is used for the arterial flow to the dial- the dialyzer and the venous segment Okay, is going to be used for reinfusion of the dialyzed blood. Now, when you do an arterial venous fistula, the thing about this is that it needs time to mature, right? It needs time to be usable. Usually it's about two to three months before it can be used. And um, I, I, I can't really say, you know, why exactly that is, but it is um, it's evidence based practice that if you try to use arterial venous fistula too soon, that you're not going to get the blood flow, uh, particularly coming from the artery, that is going to be as um, as optimal as possible, as opposed to wait a little while, and then come back to the arterial venous fistula. And and remember when we're talking about. Um, The insertion of needles that go into these access points, these are large bore needles, like a 14, a 15 gauge needle. They're huge. And so we want to make sure that the the fistula can accommodate repeatedly these large bore, bore needles. And so once, though, the arterial venous fistula has been established it is the, the the most useful for the life of the patient, especially a patient who is going to be a chronic hemodialysis patient. Now, the arteriovenous graft is created by um, a subcutaneous um synthetic grafting material between the artery and the vein. And, and usually um Graphs are created only when patients are not suitable for the creation of a AV fistula. And so most of the time, the patients who have the um, the grafts and who don't have the fistulas are people with compromised vascular issues. In my experience, they have been patients with diabetes, patients with diabetes mellitus don't tolerate the um, AV fistula as well. And so they end up getting grafts. There may be others though. So so grafts are are usually placed in the arm, but sometimes they can be placed in the thigh or chest area. Um, When we talk about complications of the arterial venous graft, you have issues with stenosis, which is a hardening, infectious, um, infections and then thrombosis are the most common complication. And if these things happen, usually you are going to lose that access point. Okay. All right. Our nursing considerations: uh, we're we're still on pre-hemodialysis because there are just so many things that you need to monitor for, look out for before initiating this treatment. We will have to prime the lines and the the dialyzer or filter to remove any air. We definitely do not want to have any air going into our patients. Prior to attaching the patient to the circuit, we have to test that all the alarms are functional. And if there is an alert, we would respond to it as soon as possible. We need to replace wet, pressure transducers, if they interfere with the pressure reading transmissions, and always inspect and tighten any connections prior to starting the hemodialysis treatment. Contraindications. Hemodialysis may be contraindicated in patients with coagulopathies because um, the circuit Remember, it needs to be heparinized. So we need to have patients who are able to get their blood thin, who are able to remain stable. So that means if the patient is hypotensive, then hemodialysis is very difficult to perform because your patient already has a low cardiac output. And so if we try to make any volume changes, then it is going to Put the patient in a, in a worse condition as well. It just is not going to be possible. Also, um, patients who are highly catabolic, which means that they, their metabolic needs uh, cannot be kept up with, we would have difficulty giving this patient hemodialysis and they may have to go for another treatment such as peritoneal dialysis. So things to monitor when your patient is having hemodialysis as nurses, we need to monitor the access and um, for any kinks or obstructions. We need to make sure that the arterial needle is placed closest to the arterial venous um, graft or fistula to maximize blood flow. All the machine's pressures and flow rates should be checked, and also you are to record the numbers that you see. Flow rates, machine pressures, the vital signs, we monitor the patient's vital signs before and also um, during as a response to the fluid and solute removal. Gloves should always Always be warned by the nurse when performing hemodialysis because you have a risk to be exposed to the blood. Okay, and again, the nurse, you're playing an important role if you are assisting a patient, monitoring, supporting a patient during dialysis because there are many complications that can arise from. Um, clotting of the circuit. Your patient can have an air embolism just like that out the blue and you have to be there. Um, if they have any vomiting, cramping, blood leaks, you know, it's the nurse, it's the nursing care that helps to prevent complications. And as I was speaking, here are some complications of hemodialysis that you want to be aware of. Dyspnea, okay, episodes of shortness of breath often occur Because fluid accumulates between dialysis and the treatment, okay? Um, Hypotension can occur during the treatment as fluid is removed. That's why we said if a patient is already hypotensive, then hemodialysis should not be conducted at that time, particularly for your NCLEX exam. Um, Painful muscle cramping may occur, and usually this is um, later on during the dialysis treatment as fluid and the electrolytes are rapidly leaving the extracellular space. Exanguation may occur if the blood lines separate or if dialysis becomes dislodged. Of course, dysrhythmias. Because we're talking about electrolytes, we're talking about um, also pH changes from, um, from this process as well. And so electrolyte imbalances may occur and dysrhythmias are usually a result of that. Air embolism is rare, but it can occur um, in, in if air enters the vascular space. Chest pain may occur if patients um, have anemia or if they have heart disease during dialysis. And this idea of dialysis disequilibrium is a result of fluid shifts um, in the cerebral area. And so when a patient has um, this disequilibrium from their dialysis, they're going to report headache, nausea and vomiting, restlessness, decreased level of consciousness, and seizures. But dialysis disequilibrium is more likely to occur when a patient is having higher nitrogen uh, or urea levels than normal or if they are in acute renal failure. Typically, you don't see this with clients with chronic renal failure or who are um, used to getting their dialysis. So our, our nursing management for hemodialysis is pharmacological therapies, okay, um, medications such as cardiac glycosides, which is like digoxin, antibiotics, antiarrhythmic medications, and antihypertensives. We already know that there, there are many types, but these are the classifications to make sure that um, the patient will be not experiencing cardiac issues or blood clotting issues. One of the major complications of chronic kidney disease is going to be anemia. So usually iron infusions are indicated if a patient is on hemodialysis for a length of time, not necessarily related to hemodialysis, but the impaired kidneys. Nutritional and fluid therapy. So the goal of our nutritional therapy for the client with Chronic kidney disease or kidney injury or renal failure is going to be to, of course, minimize uremic acid. So um, low purine diet and also we're going to want to encourage adequate protein, calorie, vitamin and mineral intake. Okay, All right. After the hemodialysis has taken place, you can really determine the results of the treatment by assessing the amount of fluid that is removed from the patient. And this is going to be measured against a post-dialysis weight. And also, you will measure... To the degree which the electrolyte and acid based imbalances have been corrected. So after dialysis, blood is usually drawn immediately. Oh, I'm sorry. After dialysis, when blood is drawn immediately, it can show the levels not being uh, correct. So it can show like false uh, electrolyte presentations. So when a doctor orders when a doctor orders blood to be drawn from your dialysis patient, you want to wait at least two to three hours to draw that blood because you want everything to have been circulated, metabolized out before you pull blood and get false, you know, false readings that you have to spend like all your shift trying to correct, and they're not even true. All right, so a minimum of I say three hours before laboratory and draw uh, blood is taken from this patient. Okay, let's get into our questions because we've done the content on hemodialysis. I have some good ones coming for you. I want to see how you're doing. Again, this is how we take control of our week by studying on Mondays. So question number one, the nurse is assessing clients' labs and symptoms. The nurse anticipates that the client is um, in need of hemodialysis as evidenced by, is it number one, jaundice Two, a hematocrit of 52%. Three, renal function of 10 to 15%. Or four, an ele- elevated hemoglobin A1C. Oh, this is a good one. This is good here. What sayeth you all to, to this very interesting question? I see the answers on the screen and I'm loving it. I'm loving it. Absolutely. The correct answer is going to be. Yes. Number three, renal function of 10 to 15 percent. So I have mentioned this earlier when the kidney function falls below 10 to 15 percent, the kidneys, they can no longer filter blood um, or produce urine. And so the toxins that are going to be accumulating are just going to be extra and they will need to be removed, hence hemodialysis here, which has been our subject for today. Question number two, in hemodialysis, this serves as the synthetic semipermeable membrane replacing the renal glomeruli and tubules as the filter for the impaired kidneys. Oh, don't you love nursing talk? <laughs> if somebody heard me reading that, they would be like, what is she talking about? But you are my people and you know this language. This is the language we speak. Um, so, again, in hemodialysis, this serves as the synthetic semi-permeable membrane replacing the renal glomeruli and tubules as filter for the impaired kidneys. Is it number one, dialysis water, two, heparin solution, three, dialysate or four, dialyzer. Which one, guys? You know this. You got it. Go ahead and put those answers on the screen. Yeah. Correct answer is for the dialyzer. And this is where blood flows into the blood compartment of the dialyzer where exchange of fluid and waste products take place. It serves as the semi permeable membrane, also known as the artificial kidney. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. Excellent question number three coming at you is this is all about hemodialysis today the nurse is preparing the client with maintenance hemodialysis the nurse observes that the client has low potassium levels the nurse's best response is number one proceed with hemodialysis as this is normal for clients with end stage renal disease two Proceed with the procedure as this is an indication for hemodialysis. Three, inform healthcare providers since hemodialysis can further decrease potassium levels. Four, assess for muscle cramping and low protein levels. What do you guys say? we are talking about hey we're talking about this is the situation you want to start dialysis but you notice you check those laboratory values and that potassium is 3.0 what you gonna do all right correct answer is number did you get it call the doctor please um call the doctor and so Hyperkalemia, we would expect, and it would be an indication for hemodialysis, but hypokalemia that needs to be corrected because hemodialysis is going to make that potassium level even lower. And we don't want those kind of drama. We don't we don't want that kind of drama on our shift. So we're gonna stop, we're gonna intervene. And I want you guys to know, I don't know if you're following in the news, but Nurses now are in a very sensitive time because this is the first time that nurses can be sued specifically for following a doctor's order. So if a doctor prescribes hemodialysis for your patient and you initiate it not knowing or not understanding um, how important electrolyte imbalance is to your patient, you can be sued for your actions. There used to be um, kind of a buffer that if a nurse did something that caused um, a medical error, it was, well, the nurse was under the direction of the physician, right? We were following the doctor's orders. Now, that cannot be an excuse at all. You have to have the autonomy to say, mm, mm-mm, can't do that one. Yeah, so this is a real situation for nurses. We have to be able to be safe. This is another reason why I'm glad the NCLEX is changing. Honestly, I am because we need this kind of um, we need this kind of training. Okay, question number four. The nurse is planning to evaluate the client's hemodialysis treatment response. The best time to recheck lab values is here we go. Number one, 15 minutes post-hemodialysis. Two. 30 minutes post hemodialysis, 3, 1 hour post hemodialysis, 2, 2 hour, uh, 4, 2 hours post hemodialysis. Okay. Which one are you going to rock with that is going to be safest for you as a new nurse on your first job? And if you're given this order, I want you to recheck those laboratory value times at the, from the choices given, at the two hour mark, okay? Blood drawn immediately after dialysis may show falsely low levels of electrolytes, urea, nitrogen, and creatinine. The process of equilibration is thought to continue for some time after dialysis because these substances move from inside the cell to the plasma. So, to ensure accuracy of laboratory data after dialysis, a minimum of two to three hours should elapse before samples for laboratory tests are taken from the client, okay? All right, how do you guys feel about hemodialysis? I feel like you feel like, whew, I'm glad we went over that and now that we started off our week with the studying, Here's the motivation for this week. Here it is. There's nothing wrong with you, okay? Um, And I say this because the I know many of our students have been out of school for five, eight, dare I say, ten years or more. There's somebody here that is not a new graduate. You've been out of school for several years. And another thing that remar, um, you know, another thing that we love about our nurses is that. Yes, we do have repeat test takers, people who have um, failed the NCLEX once, twice. I mean, it don't matter, right? And so in our community, what I love is that despite all of the challenges that you have going on in your life right now, you make it your business. You prioritize yourself to be here, to find motivation in the little things, and to be determined to continue. And honestly, in all of my years of doing this, it is a person who has that practice, a person who has that belief, a person who has that mentality, those are the ones who end up getting their license. The person that can show up to this class and can congratulate somebody else for passing NCLEX, that is the person that has an inner positive, um, you know, self-talk and um, the glasses half full mentality that will be able to say, you know what, I might not be able to memorize everything, but I can learn enough, I can study hard enough, I can work at it and I can become better and I can take the test again and pass it. Or yeah, I've been out of school for three years, but I know that if I give it 100% today, if I just put my phone down, turn off the TV, take my book, And study with it, I can learn what I need to learn in order to get a nursing job, to work where I want to be. And so if you understand that everything in your life may not be perfect, everything in your life may not have worked out the way you wanted it to, but you do have the strength and capacity, capability, motivation, to get to where you need to go. You can climb up there and get that goal that you're reaching for. And if you're here, it's more than likely your nursing license, okay? And 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 I'm happy that you found this community because it's not just about working harder, but definitely there's a better way to do it. And there is a way that if you, not only believe in yourself, okay? But if you also push yourself to the limit, remember I talked about it. You got to get out of your comfort zone. You got to do whatever it takes to make sure that this time next year, you're not sitting in the same place. Whatever that takes. like You have to find out what you need to do so that this time, forget next year, this time next what? next season, I want y'all not to be here. I love y'all, but I do want y'all to go. I want you to get your nursing license. I have people that follow me for two and three years, um, you know, before they take the next step, either with my program or um, with their virtual trainer. Some people, some people have this book. They literally they purchase this book, and when it gets to their house, they put it on a shelf, and they look at it every day, and they say, "I'm going to get to that," okay, knowing. Or maybe they don't know, but knowing that the average nurse is, is making like what five thousand dollars a month, and so every day they wave by the five thousand dollars and they go out the door <laughs> to another job or where you know wherever you go. But the the point is that um, I want you guys to have a sense sense of urgency about this goal. I want you to know that in order for me to get it, I have to be uncomfortable. I'm telling y'all, I'm doing this next generation NCLEX review and there's parts of it that I'm uncomfortable with. And it's just the the challenge that I have to not only teach NCLEX information, but also teach the the new components of the exam and how you need to think about it. And I'm also encouraging educators at the same time. Y'all can't keep doing what y'all been doing, y'all have to change. And so there's there's a sense of growth and a, um, some challenges that right now I am experiencing. But guess what? It's good for me to get out of a comfort zone. I told y'all, I'm excited about this new Inclex. I'm excited for the challenge of making our nurses safer. And so if you are looking to have the dream life, right, the, the your dream, You're going to have to get out of your current situation. You're not going to have the dream in your current situation, just like I'm not going to have the dream in my current situation. So we all have to get uncomfortable. We have to work harder. And so um, I say this, I'm not um, I will not get tired of reminding you guys that you can, you will and you must pass NCLEX. That's it. I hope you guys enjoy (laughs) this segment of our learning I'm not going to get tired of telling you guys that. I'm not going to get tired because every time I get a testimonial video of somebody who's passed NCLEX, you know what they say? They say, I can, I will, and I must pass NCLEX. That's it. Thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you so much for um, subscribing and liking our Facebook page, page, subscribing to the YouTube channel. I will see you guys soon. Have a great week. Bye-bye.